0: to have you with us as well. And let me uh, just start off by giving you just a quick update to the newsletter uh, that went out this past week. It was in the middle of the week, if you saw that newsletter. In that newsletter, we had written that uh, uh, that my family wasn't doing very well physically. We were pretty sick, but I had actually written that letter on Monday. So come Wednesday when it came out, it was actually much better. Then come today, we are actually doing much better. So in case anybody is concerned about us being here. We are actually doing much better than we were early uh, early last week. But uh, with that, let me give you just a couple of announcements. Uh, the first is that on February 20th, which is a Sunday, immediately following the service, we will have uh, a members meeting where we will be uh, discussing or reviewing, actually, the finances of, of last year. And praise the Lord, there is a surplus, and so we want to think about how do we use some of that surplus. And so we'll be presenting some Uh, some motions for your approval on how to uh, bless others, like bless other ministries uh, with some of the surplus that we ended up with last year. Is that me? Sorry. Um, And then uh, besides that, I want to remind you for the men of the church that there is a men's Bible study at 7.30 a.m. on Saturdays, and it's going through the book of Judges. And if you have any other questions or any asking for any other details, please see uh, Eric Pigman for more details. He's out in the back, so uh, it has been uh, at least a couple of weeks since we've been together. We missed last week because of snow, and I don't know about you, but I've I found it a little bit uh, challenging to kind of orient myself to uh, to what we come to do on Sunday mornings. And I'm I'm also kind of amazed that only after one week of kind of missing out on this rhythm in my life that there's sort of this challenge of trying to reorient. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ and is you this morning? Maybe maybe there's just uh, your conscience. Of the microphone that's happening right now. (laughs) Um, You come in. Oh, praise the Lord. Regardless, with that being said, however you are this morning, whether however you are feeling emotionally, mentally, spiritually, the Lord is uh is is happy that you're here. The Lord wants you uh to be here. And so let us go before the Lord this morning. Let us rekindle our our love for the Lord Jesus as we sing and proclaim of His excellencies this morning. Let us go before the Lord in humility, bringing our prayer requests before God, trusting that He will answer them according to His will. And let us also uh, reignite a a passion in our hearts for the glory of God as we worship Him and as we sit under His Word and seek to learn from His Word this morning. And so let us go before the Lord and just join our hearts. In our minds and our voices uh, to worship the Lord Jesus.
1: Amen, church. Let's stand and worship. Amen. Uh, Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. And the Word of God says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, and I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise. To your name, O Most High. Let's do just that and praise his name this morning. Amen. Sing together. Nothing but the blood. What? What can wash
2: away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other doubt I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for in a nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that may see white as snow. But the blood of Jesus Cause the blood of Jesus Is enough for me Oh, the blood of Jesus Is enough And then again, because the blood the blood of Jesus Is enough for me Oh, the blood of Jesus Is enough This This is all my hope and peace Nothing but the blood Jesus, this is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus, and all oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, Water, but to other thoughts I know, nothing but the blood Jesus. Oh, precious and oh, precious Jesus. is the flow that makes me white and smooth. Oh, mother, I know nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord,
1: we worship you, Father. Continue worship. Christ is my reward. Let's sing together.
2: Christ is my reward and all my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world ever satisfied. Through every trial, my soul will sing no turning back. I've been set free. Yes, Lord, the sing Christ. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need in Christ, my all in all, enjoy my salvation. And this hope will never fail. Heaven is our home. Through every storm My soul will sing Jesus is here To God be the glory Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me Everything I need is in you and everything I need is in Christ. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. And everything I, I have, I have decided. To follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. I am deciding to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back In Christ, Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you, everything I need. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art Went through the woods And forest <inaudible> glades I wander And hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down From lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook And feel the gentle breath, let's sing. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. And on the cross My, my burden perfect gladly perfect bearing perfect He bled and died take, take away perfect. my Yes, Lord, let's sing my like soul My Savior, God, to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. And take me home with joy shall fill my heart. I shall bow in humble adoration, and therefore, my God, my God, how great Thou art! And sings my soul, my Savior, God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! And sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great, How great how great thou art, how great thou art.
1: Father, You are worthy of our praise this morning. Father, we've sung... We've sung songs this morning, preaching and and, 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 and proclaiming, Lord, that Christ is enough. That how great... Thou art, Lord, you sustain us, and you are all we need. Father, I pray that we may, that, you're, that you may help us understand the power, the power that you have in us through Christ Jesus, and how you, how you lead and guide us how you again sustain us, Lord. And another way of doing that is through your word. And I pray, God, now that as we enter into your word, that you may be glorified and magnified in this time. Father, um, it is only by the blood that we have been saved. Uh, It is why we worship you. It is why we gather in fellowship. So we thank you, Father. Uh, For this morning, continue to lead us, I pray, Lord, through your your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
2: Amen.
0: Amen. It's been uh, encouraging uh, to my family and I in the past couple of weeks just to Know that you guys have been praying for us and supporting us and, and reaching out to us in different ways and providing for us. And so just wanted to say thank you for just, just being there for us the past couple of weeks and just the, uh, I guess the roller coaster that has been uh, for our family. So we are really appreciative of, of you all and deeply love you all. So we are incredibly grateful for you. So while we, uh, so we now transition to a time of prayer, let me read to us from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 8, which says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up in, with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved, excuse me, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Man, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord, I think of that great passage in Philippians that tells us of the humility of Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And even took on the likeness of man. And even went so far as to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Lord, we are reminded also of Jesus who went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And not once did Jesus use his power and his omnipotence for his own purposes or to alleviate his own suffering. And when he was presented the world and the kingdoms of the world before him and offered to him, if you would only bow to Satan, he resisted. Not once did you, Jesus, use your divinity for your own purposes. Not once, Lord, did you say that I will not go down to these people because I love my glory too much. But you went so far as to even set aside that glory and added to yourself a human identity, human flesh, and went to the cross and died on the cross for the sins of your people. And so, Lord, we are humbled by that. We are in awe because of your great sacrifice, because of the great salvation that you have purchased for us. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we worship you and we praise you. And, Lord, certainly we can, we oftentimes, Lord, give in to the desires of our flesh in the temptations of the world, we look to do what we desire to do. We desire sometimes, Lord, to promote our own name. Sometimes we might even desire to promote our own appearance of godliness for great gain. We desire to better our own selves. We look to our own selfish desires. Lord, it is difficult for us to be content with what you have given to us. Sometimes we desire more than what you have given to us. And Lord, we admit that there are competing voices in the world that lure us and tempt us and try us. And sometimes, Lord, we find ourselves wanting more and more and more. And God, we just come before you this morning and we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of our sinful inclinations and tendencies. Forgive us for the moments when we try to make our a name for ourselves more than trying to make to, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray and ask that you might help us to be content with what you have given to us. Lord, we cannot take our name with us into heaven. We cannot take our reputation. We cannot take our honor. We cannot take our possessions into heaven. But what we will take into heaven is godliness. So Lord, help us to devote our lives to growing in godliness the godliness that you require of us, the godliness that you delight in. And help us to be a people who are content with what your gracious hands have given to us. Lord, satisfy us each morning with the pleasure of your presence your word teaches us that at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So God, help us to pursue you, to seek joy and satisfaction in the relationship that we have with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to delight in our beloved Savior. Give us the joy that comes from possessing the most valuable treasure in the world, and that treasure being Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning for all those who may be in a season of trial, for those who may be suffering. We pray for our brothers and sisters who in this moment or in this season may not desire the pleasures that are at your your right hand. God, we pray and ask that you would please Restore to them the joy of their salvation. That you would help them to remember the innumerable blessings that there are in Jesus Christ. Lord, that they would resonate with the words of the Apostle Paul who once said that he is always sorrowful yet always rejoicing rejoicing in salvation, rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, rejoicing that his name was written in the book of life. So may your people, may your beloved children rejoice that their names are written in the book of life. Encourage them with these words. Encourage them with the promises that are written in the scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them strength and encouragement to, Lord, each and every day. And Lord, we pray also this morning for our persecuted brothers and sisters scattered around the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters who, are, who have been betrayed by parents because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, remind them of their adoption through faith in Christ. Lord, when they are mistreated by friends, remind them that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners when they lose their income because of their faith, remind them that you are a God who cares for all those who seek first the kingdom and who seek Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give them strength, that your power would be made perfect in their weaknesses. Lord, give them an indestructible hope that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That while their outer self is perishing and wasting away, their inner self, the gospel and the Holy Spirit, is being renewed day by day. So we pray that you would encourage them with these truths. Lord Jesus, you are not only the cornerstone of the church, but you are also the head of the church the church receives its life and its breath through your headship when the rest of the body maintains united to the head and works together. So, Lord, we pray for for your churches in this area. Lord, that they would remain connected to the head who is Christ, that they would make it their aim to honor you, Jesus, that they would not put their trust in man or traditions or programs, but they would put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Lord, and when we do so, we become more effective witnesses of the gospel of Christ. So we pray that you would use your people to proclaim the gospel. We pray, God, for an increasing love for the lost that results in a bold and loving evangelism so that people might hear the gospel and be saved. Father, your word tells us that the world will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and that is certainly the case today as we think about Russia and Ukraine, China and Taiwan, and what is our country's involvement in these matters. Lord, we pray that you might give wisdom to our leaders To know how to best confront these issues. God, we pray for insight, we pray for understanding, we pray for the knowledge needed in order to determine the best course of action. We pray that you would surround our leaders with others who are not eager for conflict, but who make it their first priority to find peaceful resolutions. And Father, we do pray that you would protect human life and that you would protect freedom. And God, we look forward to the day when you will end all wars and bring your everlasting peace on this earth. And Lord, we do pray and ask that you would hasten that day. Lord, and lastly, we pray this morning for all those who work in the areas of education. Lord, I am sure that there are moments where your people wonder and ask, is, it, is this any of this working? Is this any of this getting through? Is this actually being helpful? Lord, we pray that they may not be discouraged, but that they might continue in the good work that they are doing. Whenever they are in doubt, remind them, Lord, to pray and to trust in the Lord. They may not be able to get the results that they desire, and sometimes results are out of our hands, but what you call us to do is to be faithful. So, Lord, we pray that you would give your people an enduring faithfulness with a persistent hopefulness. Lord Jesus, we trust you for all these things, and we look forward to all that you are going to do. And, Lord, we join our hearts and our voices this morning as we also pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in the Scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, so we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So we're turning to Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 2. We're reading verses 1 through 11 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, picking up in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guided me with wisdom. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun, since the word of the Lord. Father, we are thankful to be gathered here again this morning. God, we thank you that we do not come here in vain. We thank you, God, that what we do here matters. And it matters a great deal because we intend to come before the throne of grace to worship you, to fellowship under you, to pray, and to hear from you. So God, we pray, despite the words that come out of my mouth, despite the words that I have written, God, that you would speak your word this morning. A word that is meaningful, a word that is significant, a word that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray, will change us, and mold us, and fashion us to be more like Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The author Karen Swallow Pryor once wrote, Temperance is an ordinary, humble virtue to be practiced on a regular rather than on an exceptional basis. It is a virtue for all times, but it's all the more necessary when times are good. It is also unlike the other virtues and centering not on actions, but on desires. Since we desire what is pleasurable, temperance is a virtue that inclines us to desire and enjoy pleasures well. It helps us to desire pleasures in a reasonable manner. So temperance is a sort of self-control, a discipline, an inner disposition, without which you cannot enjoy the pleasures of the world in a right manner, in a good way, as opposed to in an intemperate manner. An intemperate person is a person who gives himself to the pleasures of the world without self control, without any kind of discipline. Whatever it is I want, I get it. Right, what happens when a man who has incalculable wealth and limitless resources gives himself to, in an intemperate manner to the, the, to the desires of the world? For most of us, we might destroy ourselves through such a pursuit. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is that kind of person. Man with all the resources, with all the wealth, everything at his disposal. And he gives himself in an intemperate manner to pursue the finest things in life. And he does so for a specific purpose. He does this with his wisdom intact. And so the first question he asks, the first point for this morning is, what should man do? What should man give himself to doing in the few days of his life? It is a really good question. Again, he begins, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, speaking to his own self. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter that it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, we see this man's task, his mission, his quest to try to understand what is life, what is the purpose of life, what is the meaning. What should one person do with his life in the few days of his life? And we saw first that he gave himself to intellectual pursuits. He tries to understand what is the meaning of life by giving his heart, his mind, to understanding what is wisdom and what is madness and what is folly. He says in chapter 1, verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And then in verse 17, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. When he says the word heart, he doesn't just mean sort of the, the internal organ of the body, but he's talking about the seat of one's emotions, the, the inclinations of one's life, the affections. He's essentially is saying that he is giving himself entirely to trying to understand what is life all about. Yeah, first thought out to this quest intellectually. Let me think deeply about these things. And he came to the conclusion there's all vanity. A striving after wind was elusive. So now he comes to a different kind of pursuit. Let's pursue, or rather, let's put the same pursuit but pursued in a different manner. We pursued it intellectually, but now let's pursue this experientially. Let's test this theory out. Let me give my heart what it desires. So he gives himself to pursuit of pleasure. Now, pleasure isn't always what is forbidden. Pleasure isn't always a bad thing. There are a lot of things that we can certainly enjoy in life, the delights of life, the good things of life that are pleasurable. And even God himself is a God of pleasure. God pursues his own pleasure. Psalm 16, 11, it tells us about the Lord. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even in the right hand of the Lord, there are pleasures, eternal pleasures. First Corinthians 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Not only is God a God who has... Many eternal pleasures at his right hand, but he is also a God who pursues his own pleasure. And particularly in this passage, he desires pleasure in uprightness. So the teacher of Ecclesiastes decides to test his heart. Let me give myself to pursuing pleasure. Let me try some wine, perhaps, indulge in some drinking. While keeping my wisdom intact as well. Meaning he's pursuing this with a specific purpose. Does this give meaning to my life? Is this what it's all about? So he's begun his test. And he does more than just give himself to wine. He gives himself to other endeavors as well. We see this in the passages in verses 4. So, what what does he desire to do? He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So here is a man who gives himself to pleasure, not just pursuing the good kind of pleasure, but also the bad kind of pleasure as well. Nothing was withheld from his heart. And he even found pleasure in all his toil and everything that his hands produced, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's good to enjoy the work of one's hands. But only that, that only goes so far. At the end of the day, he concludes that it's all vanity. I many you're familiar with the story of, the fictional story of the great Gatsby. Gatsby, who was in love with the woman, went off to war, came back. She was then, by that time, Married to another man. And so he devoted his life. His life's ambition was to accrue all this wealth, money, status, put on these lavishes, lavish parties at his mansion in order to sort of deserve the woman of his dreams. In order to get the love of his life, who sort of was in a sort of different social class, who belonged to a different world, in a sense. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he dies. Now, to him, the reality of being forever with this woman was an elusive reality. Something he always strived after, was trying to grasp, but he never could. That's sort of the picture that the teacher is painting for us. He's pursuing this reality that is elusive, it's escaping him. This reality that. Perhaps that might be satisfaction and contentment and this transcendent meaning in this world. And no matter how hard he tries to grasp that reality, it keeps escaping. It's elusive. He's done all these things. He made, he built... He gathered, he bought, and at the end of the day, he comes to the conclusion, the tragic conclusion that it is all vanity. His conclusion is actually much worse than you might think. We think about everything that he's done, everything he's put together, all of his great works, in addition to houses, he made gardens, he made parks, fruit-bearing trees. He may even made a pool to water his forest. And he had men and women to tend to everything that he had built and made with his own hands. In reading everything that he had built and put together and created with his own hands, I couldn't help but think about the book of Genesis and see some striking similarities to the creation account. In Genesis chapter 2, which is sort of a retelling of Genesis chapter 1, it's all the same account. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, it tells us, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And in verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Here's the teacher Indulging in the desires of his heart, withholding nothing, and with all that he had, he sort of built this Eden on earth, this paradise, that certainly wasn't just for his own enjoyment, but certainly I would think was enjoyment for all of his people as well. Planted this garden on earth had men and women to tend to his garden. parallels there to the creation account. But when God created everything in the heavens and the earth, when He created this paradise on earth, when He created this Eden and created man and put man in the garden to tend to his garden, when God takes a step back and He looks at everything that He had built and made with His own hands, what does He say? Behold, it was very good. The teacher, on the other hand, built this sort of paradise on earth. Produced all of these things. He takes a step. He says that he considers. The word that essentially is, gives the idea of turning. He takes all that he's built. He turns towards it. He looks at it, considers thinks about it. Everything that he's put together. But what he doesn't say is, this is all very good. Instead, instead he says is all vanity. It's striving after the wind. All meaningless. What's the difference? What is the difference? Both, essentially, making a lot of the same things, but God's response was, it was very good. The teachers, it was all vanity. Now, good, by the way, good doesn't just mean like how we normally use the word good, like, hey, good job. But word, the word good in the Bible is actually much more than that. When you think of creation account, it says that God created everything that was very good, that means something. When God takes a look at Adam and determines that he is lonely, and he says it is not good for man to be alone, that means something. When it tells us of the promises of God that they are good promises, it means something. When God intends to bring his people to a land that is good, flowing with milk and honey, that means something. And so when God says that this was very good, and we think about God as well being good, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, what does it say? That God made all of his goodness pass before Moses. The word good in the Bible is something that has this intrinsic value, this prize, something that is incomparable to anything that we might find in this world. And good also has a moral quality to it. And when the teacher says that, he, when he looks at everything that he has done, and he says that it was all vanity. In a way, he's kind of saying, this isn't good. So what are the differences? And we can talk a long time about the differences between God and and this teacher and everything that they had put together and built with their own hands. But in order for us to remain anchored to our text this morning, the answer to our question is that God did not make everything because he was trying to satisfy something in himself. The teacher, on the other hand, was trying to figure out what is the meaning of life. I'm trying to find something that will fill the gaping hole in my heart. And so I'm going to give myself to pursuing the finest things in life to see if that will satisfy, to see if that will give my life meaning. And he comes to the conclusion that nothing does. God, on the other hand, had always been satisfied in himself. So everything that God made from the very beginning did not come from a God who was dissatisfied in any shape, way, or form, but it came from a God who was full of delight and satisfaction. Romans 11 35 tells us, or asks, who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? The answer is nobody can give a gift to God, give a gift to God because God is rich. Because God owns everything. Psalm 1611, we read this passage earlier. You make known to be the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the very presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. From the very beginning, from eternity past, God has always been a God of complete satisfaction. And he is the one who invites us to come into his presence and enjoy the pleasure that there is in knowing God through faith in Christ. Psalm 36.8 speaks of those who pursue the Lord Jesus, who pursue the Lord God. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. God is ultimately the one who satisfies Everybody wants to be happy in some way, shape, or form. Everybody is after some kind of pleasure. No one likes displeasure, at least not for very long. Even those who seek silence and solitude do so with some sort of pleasure in mind. The problem that is exposed through the teacher's experiment in his pursuit of pleasure is the paradox of hedonism. Paradox, right? The Holding two contradictory conclusions together. The paradox of hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, is that you're always seeking pleasure, always seeking, always hungry, always thirsting, and always eating, and always drinking, and always pursuing, but never ever coming to a position where you are completely satisfied. In outer space... Some of you are familiar that there are black holes in outer space, these giant stars that explode and then they create these black holes, sort of these vacuums in outer space that just suck up everything that is around. them. this incredible gravitational pull that not even light escapes the gravitational pull of a black hole. It just keeps consuming, consuming, consuming. Nobody knows what it exactly is in a black hole. The human heart is like a black hole that we find in outer space consuming everything and in its consumption the hole only gets bigger and what we need is sort of this colossal this supernatural cork to plug up the gaping hole of our hearts the tragedy is that that kind of satisfaction is nowhere to be found in the world So the teacher considers all that he had done. It's almost as if he's at the end of his life. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but he's taking a step back and considering everything that he gave himself to. Everything that he worked so hard to build. The British missionary C.T. Studd, it's a great name, by the way, Stud. This missionary once said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done in Christ will last. This teacher is looking to live his life apart from God to see if it brought any meaning, anything of substance, anything permanent. And he came to the conclusion, no matter what I've done with my life, no matter what I've built, no matter how good it was for me or for others, ultimately, this is not going to last. And therefore, it's meaningless. It accomplishes nothing, it gains nothing. Everyone seeks happiness in some way, shape, or form. It is not a bad thing to be in the pursuit of happiness. But the problem that we have is the foundation. So then this gets to another question. So if we are to pursue pleasure, if we can pursue pleasure, especially if we can pursue those things that are good in life that even the Lord considers good, how should man pursue pleasure? How should we pursue those things? The first answer to that question is with satisfaction. We certainly can and should pursue those things that are worthy of our pursuits even though we tend we have a tendency to pursue those things that are not good, those things that are disobedient unto God, those things that God finds displeasurable, and the things that we also should find displeasurable, and sin, and wickedness, and hate. But if we are going to pursue those things that are good, those things that are honorable, whether it's enjoyment in work, whether it's enjoyment in our family, whether it's in fellowship, or even in a good meal how should those things be pursued and they should be pursued with a heart that is satisfied because without satisfaction we always will always have the tendency to take even the good things of this life and turn them into idols we can have a tendency to pursue those good things in a manner that is intemperate without self-control and without discipline Any good thing that is to be enjoyed, that is worthy of our pursuit, can become a hindrance or stumbling block in our lives. If we are not first satisfied in Christ, and we cannot pursue pleasure in the right way until we are first satisfied in Christ. So we must continue to pursue Christ. Now, if we are continuing to pursue satisfaction in Christ, doesn't that then say that Christ is unsatisfying? Oh, by no means the problem is that we tend to gravitate to the things that are less satisfying it does not mean that Christ is not satisfying rather the problems with our own hearts that we get to, we tend to gravitate to the things that are inferior pleasures and so it, it, it takes a constant discipline to continue to turn ourselves to Christ, to continue to turn to Christ as our joy, as our delight, as our satisfaction. How exactly do we do this? How exactly do we pursue satisfaction in Christ on a daily basis, season by season, moment by moment? One way to do that is to consider your salvation in Psalm 51 the psalmist after being after having been confronted by his sin he prays to the lord in Psalm 51 verse 11 he says cast me not away from your presence and take not your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit joy and satisfaction in christ comes from remembering the cross of Jesus Christ, remembering what you've been saved from and what you've been saved unto, remembering that you and I were once under the wrath of God because of our sins and offenses against God. But through our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus who came into the world to die on the cross for the sins of his people, through faith in him, we instead receive forgiveness of sins. We receive reconciliation with God. We receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. We receive the eternal blessings of God. We receive the Holy Spirit of God. We receive eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of all those things, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as a joyless Christian. Certainly we can have our moments where our joy is lacking, but ultimately, there's no such thing as a joyless Christian, because a joy-filled Christian is so because he is the richest person in the entire planet, because they have all those eternal blessings that they receive through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is great joy in our salvation. Sometimes we have a tendency to treat the gospel as something that has happened in the past that we were saved in the past. But that's not exactly true. No, the person who intends to have a joy-filled life as a Christian is the person who is always living in the present reality of the cross. That person not only says Christ has saved me, but Christ is saving me today. So live today in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that way, You can restore the joy of your salvation. How else can we pursue satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Through his word. What is the Bible but a testament to God's abounding grace towards sinners? What is the Bible but the story of God's enduring faithfulness towards his people? What is the Bible but God's written promises to us as his beloved children? In the scriptures, we read of God's good and gracious promises to his beloved children. We are reminded that despite our sins, God continues to be good to us. That he continues to be faithful. That he continues to intend to restore us to himself. Continues to remind us that we serve a patient God. Who is always with us that even when we fail, that even when we sin, the Scriptures remind us that Jesus Christ died for the sin that you committed and that He is your advocate and that He is your holy priest who intercedes for you before the throne of grace. There's a lot of joy to be had the scriptures. Another way to pursue satisfaction in Jesus Christ is through the fellowship of the saints, coming together with God's people, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's in a community group, whether it's here on Sunday mornings, is to be in constant fellowship with God's people. Because when we are, we are reminded of the God who is for us. We are reminded through the testimonies of others of how good God is and how He provides when we are with our brothers and sisters in Christ we not just see another person before us but we see somebody who's been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that this is a brother and sister that we are gathering together with family members so if you find yourself liking joy in this particular these particular days or in this season then i would just simply ask Have you been neglectful of His Word? Have you been neglectful of the fellowship of the saints? Have you considered your own salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ? See, the teacher's problem, which is the same problem as the secularist, the secular person who does not live The fear of God, or have a relationship with God, is seen in Jeremiah chapter two, verse twelve. This is the reason why the teacher and anybody else apart from God cannot find truly those things that are fulfilling in life. Jeremiah two twelve says, "Be appalled, O heavens, at this! Be shocked! Be utterly desolate!" declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils; they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken. Cisterns that can hold no water. One evil is an evil of decision. the decision to turn away from God. And the other great evil is one of affection. Pursuing the things of the world that ultimately do not satisfy. Like cisterns that cannot hold water because it's broken. And no matter how much you fill it, it's never going to be full. you're here this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you're watching this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, consider the teacher's conclusions. He's given his life to the pursuit of pleasure because he concluded that a life apart from God has no other choice but to pursue the life of pleasure, to seek happiness in this world and this world only. And he's come to the conclusion that it all utterly is meaningless. what you accomplish, what you pursue, what you acquire for yourself, ultimately you cannot take it with you in the next life. Consider the teacher's conclusion that such is the end, the life of pleasure. And consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider that Christ. The Savior of the world, the Son of God, came into the world to die for sinners. And that you can live forever with God. That you can receive forgiveness of sins. That you can be reconciled with God by placing your faith and trust upon Jesus. You may not be able to take anything with you in the next life. But what you can take with you, that you can have now, is Christ. And you can take Christ with you into heaven. And that your life lived in Christ today will matter. If Christ is your greatest treasure and source of joy and satisfaction, if Christ is the Savior of your soul, if Christ is the Lord of your life, Christ promises to give you eternal life that you may be forever with Him and have permanent and eternal satisfaction. So so how should man pursue pleasure in the world? First, with satisfaction. Second and lastly, Those things should be pursued with contentment. Contentment is an independence from the world that comes from a dependence upon God. Do you find yourself wanting that new toy, even though you don't necessarily need it? Do you find yourself trying to look beyond what you can see to see if the the grass is greener on the other side? Do you find yourself pursuing those things that God forbids? Do you find yourself coveting what's not yours? Do you find yourself envious of the accomplishments of others? Or if you answered yes to any of those questions, then you are struggling with discontentment. And discontentment is grounded in faithlessness. Now as a Christian, you can certainly struggle with discontentment and faithlessness, I don't mean by that that you are actually not a Christian, but what I mean is that discontentment is grounded in a lack of faith in God. Because the ground of contentment is a trust or a faith that God is good, that He is the dispenser of all good gifts, and that God has given to you exactly what you have today for His own purposes and for your own good, and not more or any less. My kids have recently learned about returning stuff at a store. And my kids have recently got two different toys and Elena, my oldest, got envious of my younger's toy, and she didn't want her own toy anymore. And she and we were saying, "Well, honey, you have to be okay. You have to be content. You have to be happy with what you have." And she was like, "Well, can I just simply return it and get that one and get something else?" I was like, "Well, no. That's not supposed to be how it works." Mm-hmm. So all oh right, I mean, in, in children we see that discontentment, we see that envy, we see that covetousness. But we, as adults, even as Christians, we may not be all that different. We can certainly be covetous of other things, envious of others. But this is exactly what the world does when they get envious or covetous. Let me return this. Let me exchange this. Let me back out of this commitment. Let me exchange this house for another. The reason why this the world is given to such an exchange, this perpetual exchange of returning over and over again because the world is constantly in the pursuit of satisfaction and it cannot find it. But the beginning of contentment is to acknowledge that God is the dispenser of all things. That what you have has been given to you by the Lord Himself. And for reasons He has not revealed to you, He has decided to not to give you more or any less. And contentment, again, begins by trusting that God knows better than you and I do. Could you imagine if God was a discontent God? I mean, he would certainly easily be discontent with us because of our sins, because of our failures, because our continuing to pursue the things that God does not delight in. But God is a God of pleasure. He's a God who is satisfied in himself. He's a God who is content within himself. And he's a God of enduring faithfulness. So praise be to God that God is not discontent with us. So as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of pleasure as long as we pursue those things that God permits us to pursue and as long as they are pursued in the right manner. That is with a heart that rests satisfied and that is content with Christ. And this is a daily pursuit, right? There are competing voices in the world that are seeking our attention. And so it is a daily decision to continue to turn to Christ and see Him as our greatest source of joy and contentment, satisfaction. And so let us be in that pursuit. And only then, only when we pursue Christ as our greatest treasure, as our greatest satisfaction, can we then, in a right manner, enjoy things such as work and family and entertainment and good food in a way that honors the Lord and in a way that they ought to be pursued. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being so gracious and kind to us. We thank you for your great patience Lord, as human beings and even as Christians, we struggle, Lord. We get tired of things. Sometimes we wish we could exchange things, that we could return things. God, but you have called us to a higher life. You have called us to be a people of satisfaction and contentment. And God, it is so easy to be discontent when we are not first satisfied in Christ. So Lord, help us to learn satisfaction in Christ. Help us to pursue the Lord Jesus as our greatest treasure so that we can enjoy the things of this life in a right manner without making them into idols. Lord, so would you help us? Would you strengthen us by your Spirit? Help us to make it our ambition to pursue delight and pleasure and satisfaction and contentment in Christ above all things. Help us, Lord, to not be joyless Christians, but help us to be joy-filled Christians because of everything that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you and we worship you for everything that you have given to us. You have lavishly graced us through the gospel of Christ. And so we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Church, let's stand and worship in response of response to His message. Amen. Sing together Blessed Assurance.
2: Blessed Assurance Jesus is mine Oh what a foretaste of glory divine Air of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washing his life. Sing. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. And this is my story. And this is my song. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking up, up, up with his goodness. I'll sing his love. Let's sing together. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior of the divine. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. let the sing Breathing, my Savior, all the
1: day long. Amen. Father, you are you're worthy of our praise, Lord and God. As we, as we. As we heard today's sermon, Lord, I I pray, God, that that we may know and be able to to say that you are all fulfilling, you are all sustaining, you are all satisfying, Lord, for you, Lord, are enough. God, may may we seek your satisfaction as we pursue pleasure. Uh, But help us, Lord, to remember our salvation, right? That joy in our salvation as we seek your satisfaction, Lord, in all things. May we pursue Christ, Lord, in all of our contentment. May we... May we find, Lord, our contentment in Christ Jesus, as not in the things of the world that our hearts may desire at times. Bring us back to your feet. May you receive the glory. May we walk, Lord, in contentment in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's benediction, may God... May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Church, God bless you. You are dismissed. Amen.